This episode of Tend Her Wild is being sponsored by Revival in downtown Iowa City. Revival is a woman-owned apparel and clothing store for women with a curated selection of new and used vintage clothing. A place where a group of badass ladies can help you own your own personal expression no matter the budget. Revival is independently owned and operated by Sheila Davison, who is a fierce advocate for women's health rights. We love you, Sheila. Inspired by the question, we ask each of our guests, we partnered with local jewelry designer Made Community to create a special earring design called the Door Collection. You can find these pieces in store or online at Revival, Iowa City this season. Which door did you go through to become a wild woman? You can wear the earrings that match that. Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Tend to our wild listeners. We are so excited to be joined by a very special guest today in the office. This is my dear mentor and friend for 23 years. This woman has had, she is one of the most profound influences in my life, I can honestly say. So I feel really excited to introduce her to all of you today. So let me tell you about this person. This is Dr. (laughs) Candida Maurer. She is a licensed psychologist specialized in mind-body medicine that integrates not only the mind and body, but the spirit as well. She and her husband opened Eastwind Healing Center, the first integrative medicine center in the state of Iowa in 1997. And I joined that center in 1990. No, actually, it would have been it it would have been 2003. Okay, 2004. Um, Eastwind Healing Center became the largest center of its kind in the Midwest. And when Michael Canada's husband died in 2018, she ran the center by herself, but realized that it was important for her to change and grow in a new way. So in 2019, she completed the certification in psychedelic research and therapy in California and is now employed by the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Iowa to be the lead therapist in the first psychedelic medicine research in Iowa. Welcome. Welcome, Canada. (laughs) Thank you. Impressive. Yeah. Impressive resume. It's just living a life. (laughs) (laughs) Living a really um, impactful life is how I would speak it. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So there's so much that we want to talk about today. I actually get the honor of seeing you every week. We've had for years now a weekly meeting that neither of us miss where we have lunch and catch up and um, talk about all things deep and spiritual uh, and a sundry of other things. And so I'm excited to bring some of this conversation here today. And um, as we talked about with you early on, we always start with the question of the first 10 years of a person's life. And I know you 
um, appreciate this as a psychologist, the importance of this. And right before we started to record, you looked over at me and you said, why don't you ask me about the first 15 years of my life? So I'm so curious. I'm I'm like, like, whoa, what happened between 10 and 15? Okay. So tell us a little bit about how you started, your beginning. Yeah. Um, The first 10, I would say I had very smart parents, an academic father, a mother who wished she was an academic and never could get it together to do that. And I was the oldest of four children. And my parents were not happy together at all. So there was a lot of tension in the house. Um, I certainly felt that. I felt that I couldn't be good enough. So my conditioning was all around not being good enough and having to try harder. That's one of my themes is try harder and that's a self-destructive theme and of course I didn't figure that out for a very long time but my mother was fairly mentally ill and became more mentally ill over time and by the time my father died when I was 13 she was a wreck and she couldn't hold it together at all. So that's why I said the first 15 mm-hmm. years, because it was very, very bad. Um, there were times when we literally didn't know where our next meal was coming from. There were times when my mother had me screaming on the phone at a man who owed us money, and I was supposed to get him to come and give us some money. Mm-hmm. I, it was just a really chaotic and difficult time. So... I had to come out of that with a fair amount of, mm, I guess I would say, resilience. But I was 15. I was 13. I was young. I started working when I was 14 um, and kept working, just kept working. What was your first job? My first job was in a grocery store that was literally right behind our house. Um, and okay, here's a story that comes to mind. Um, the owner of the grocery store tried to trap me in the basement and have some kind of sexual relation with me. And I ran away and got up the stairs and never went to that basement again. Mm. But I found out later he had abused a number of young girls. Oh my gosh. Which is really awful. So quite profound though, that you Mm. had enough... Um, sort of yeah, to get to out of there. have the wherewithal to escape exactly. and to run away. Exactly. So, you know, and then, then I was a waitress for eight years um, and actually had pretty good money from that. But it's not a great lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> it really isn't. At some point, I realized I needed to grow up. Um, and I guess I'll stop there and mm. See where else this conversation <laughs> well, we leads. We love asking that question, yeah, because it seems life. to always flow through a person's life, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. And, um, so the idea that you had to keep working and it was never good enough, and you had to push yourself—you said that's something you've you've lived with and have had to really. Uh, work through. So I'm sure we'll <laughs> keep yeah, talking that about might it. Come up again. That might come up again. <laughs> well, and also your relationship with your mother. Yeah. That was so which profound. was fraught. Yeah. And I, I, she was so disordered. 
that we all ended up taking care of her. She was just really needy. Yeah. And, you know, very unfortunate character. Um, and for a long time, I was really angry with her, so angry that she couldn't get it together. And, you know, and I saw myself getting it together, which was sort of bullshit, really. But, <laughs> but I was trying. It's all relative. Right? right. It's all relative. And and now I just have deep compassion for her. Mm. Um, you know, what an unhappy life she had. Yeah. Well, and you're, then we'll get into this, but your life's work has been to help people who are mentally ill. Exactly. Exactly. No coincidence, right? No No. coincidence. Right. So that, I think, is what has been, well, that's clearly how you came into my life. But I'm curious your road to becoming a psychologist and um, why you think it called you. Yeah. Because it does feel like a calling. It is a calling. It is a calling. And I would definitely say, if you're not called to it, don't do it. <laughs> I would second that. Yes. <laughs> so, hmm, let me think about what's really important to say there. I was kind of a lost child, I would say, for a long time. Um, just sort of oh, trying to find my way in my late teens and early 20s. And having very difficult experiences along the way with that. Um, And honestly, the thing that changed me, the thing that actually opened me up to the spiritual dimension of life was psychedelics. And I was a hippie. And Mm. because that was like kind of the only place I fit it was in the hippie kingdom. So (laughs) it was a kingdom, by the way. It wasn't a queendom. It was a kingdom. That's interesting. That is, do you think it's changed? Mm. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think it has changed. I do. The feminine has become more. Yeah. I do. I mean, you know, I was in one of the first feminist circles, right? Where we get Mm -hmm. together and talk about all these issues. And do we wear our bras and, yeah. you know, all kinds of things. We did a bra burning. I mean, you yeah, know, it was the whole Hello. thing. It was the whole where, thing. Where were you in your 20s? I was in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the hippies accepted everybody pretty much, yeah. right? Which was where I belonged. But the the psychedelic revolution at that time was really coming into being, in the 60s and 70s. And I did a lot of psychedelics. But what they did, which was so important, was open me up to the spiritual dimension of reality. I would not have had that otherwise. Mm. And that changed everything for me. I started to realize that, of course, well, everything's connected. That's one of the things that I started to really understand. Everything's connected. And not that it became a full-blown insight, because it wasn't until much later in my life, but it was a an intro into um, the multi-dimensional layers of reality mm-hmm. and recognizing that the spiritual is where everything comes from. It's not bottom-up, it's top-down. And that is a very important piece of information to have. So I love this too, this full circle that it was in your early 20s, just your own 
um, personal exploration with psychedelics, we should say, that then comes around much full circle later in your life when you actually go study the research behind it. Now you're exactly you're a part of this research. So we'll get to that in a bit. Okay. Um, So you you went on this spiritual journey in your 20s. You opened to this realm um, yeah, I found yoga there. You found yoga. That's when you found yoga, right. which would have been... I found meditation. I was 19 when I found yoga and meditation. Oh, and long before. You're a pioneer. Yeah. I know, long before it was popular. Right, yeah. long before. Yeah, that was 1969, for yeah. heaven's sake. So, yeah, it was... You know, and it changed my life. It changed my life. And this weird woman came through town. Her name was Regina Eleven. Of course, it wasn't Eleven. her real name. <laughs> it wasn't her real name. We're going to all Google her later, see if we can find her. Yeah, is she even alive anymore? But she was the first person to open the door to energy medicine for me mm. because she had us work at Seeing Auras. And... And it was profound. I was like, oh, my God, look at that. There's energy around everybody. Oh, my God. It was such an eye-opening experience. Eye-opening. I mean that very literally. So you were in college at the time. Sort of. I was in and out of college for 10 years. That's fascinating, too. (laughs) I feel like you were learning in life. And then also the more formal, but you were, it sounds like you yes, were back and forth. Exactly. And I was kind of messing around to tell you the truth. Because <laughs> I, mean, I Finding was, yourself. Yeah, exactly. I was finding myself and I was doing college every year. I you know, signed up for a couple classes, but it took me 10 years to graduate. Um, and then I became a nurse aide at the university hospital here in town in Iowa city. And I met my first husband, who was the surgeon, while I was the ward clerk. Mm. You can see there's a power differential there. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Right? And that power differential continued through our marriage, as you might imagine. And we didn't last for long, nor should we have, and I'm not even going to go into all of that. But I... He here's the good thing he did for me, and it's really one of the few good things he really did for me, which he showed me what it meant to be disciplined and to mm. really work at something, to really put yourself down in that chair and do the work. And I started to realize, okay, education is my way out here. That is the wow. important thing. You know, I have to reflect to you, knowing you for 23 years now, I've never heard you say that. And I really, I really love, uh, I I think it also reflects how much internal work you've done on yourself to, to, to be able to look back at a marriage that was really painful and hard Mm -hmm. and, and coal out of it. Mm -hmm. The positive, which was, I learned discipline, which I assume was a big part of you being able to finish your PhD. Absolutely. 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 So then you enter a PhD program. No, I entered a master's Master's program, program. moved to Muscatine, Iowa with my husband. Hated Muscatine, Iowa. Very conservative town. Um, Wasn't a good place for me, but was a really great place for my first husband. He just blossomed, made a lot of money. Um, People more or less worshipped him because he was saving their life. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And... But it wasn't a good marriage for me. And, you know, I got out of it. Thank God. I'm so glad. Um, and then I met Michael, uh, who was 
completely different. And Can I ask how you met? Oh, sure. We were both working at the mental health center in Muscatine, Iowa, and he was actually my supervisor. I was the person in charge of the chronically ill daycare center, and he was the supervisor. And we just started talking and talking and talking and realizing, gosh, we have a lot in common. And he was very spiritually oriented already, more so than I was in some ways. Um, so we could immediately kind of talk at a number of levels. And, you know, I started to fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. He was so gentle and so patient and such a good, good soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a good soul. And yep. there are so many beautiful things that came out of the union of you and Michael. But one thing that you birthed together <laughs> yeah. was East Wind Healing Center. And as I read your bio, I mean, I've been so close to you all these years, I I didn't realize that it really was the largest yes. integrative clinic in the Midwest. I just for a while. I don't just even feel, know. Yeah, anymore. but feel yeah. so so lucky that I had a chance to be a, a big part of that for a long time. And um, so, tell us about the birth of that because it is also mm. in 1997, really long before integrative, more holistic medicine was as popular as it is today. True. So, what was that birthing process yeah. like? We were both psychologists, as you know, and we'd gotten to the point where Michael had started studying, um, what was, oh, he took a healing touch class, which is a form of energy medicine, and he was really taken with it, really taken with it. Then we both started taking Reiki classes, which we were both really taken with, so another form of energy medicine. And we started talking about, okay, how do we integrate this into psychology? What do we do with this? And and gradually, and I kept saying, I want to work with other people. I want to work with other like-minded people. We need to have other like-minded people. You were always a community builder. I was. Always, and you still are. Well, I hope that's true. Gosh, what a nice compliment. Okay. Yeah, good. I hope so. So it was awesome. We started with just like, there were four people with us and then there were five and then we got too big and we moved to this place and that's when you joined us Mm -hmm. and suddenly there were 14 people working at East Wind which was amazing and you know everything was thriving it was a really surprising effect because we didn't expect it to be as good as it was Um, People were hungry. They were really hungry for it. And you were attracting the the best. Yeah, definitely. People that were attracted to you and Michael and wanting to be part of that. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, there was the whole piece of energy medicine really is spirit medicine. It really is. I mean, you know, we are energy, right? That's who we really are. Uh, The most basics, you know, most basically we are patterns of energy, kind of interacting in a particular way, right? And the, I would say that was the thing that kept coming back to me. It's like, okay, how do we change these patterns, these stuck patterns? What do we do to change the stuck patterns? not just the mind, is it? Right. Exactly. And both uh, Michael and I realized the mind wasn't doing it. You could do cognitive behavioral therapy till you were blue in the face. I know. And it only (gasps) takes you so far. People can't really do the deep changes with that, as you know. Surface, but not deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but not deep. And 
that was facing that stuckness over and over and over again and realizing, okay, we are now getting some tools together to really change this. Let's start doing it. And that's when Eastwind was born. Mm-hmm. But your early experience, I think, in your 20s probably informed oh, this because definitely. you... Definitely. Because I was seeing auras. Yeah. I was seeing that, you know, there's like this other world that we're just, most of us, not relating to. Right. Yeah. So then you brought it to others. Yeah. And I, I want to point out that not only did Michael and Canada, were they both practitioners that had a huge impact on so many people, but they were teachers. And you started a... A massage school where you taught energy medicine. How many years was your school Gosh, open? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. How, do you remember how many students went through that Gosh, school? Hundreds. Hundreds. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you were a professor, an adjunct professor in the department that I got my PhD in. Correct. And did you, you did you have her? Oh yeah, she taught me. <laughs> what did she teach? Uh, she was in my well, first she, hypnosis You taught me a class. couple classes. You taught me really? dream dream work. Yep. And gosh, that's such a pillar of my life. And you and I still share dreams we, on a weekly yes, basis. We do. I had a good dream. What do you think it means? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I took my first hypnosis class, which was, and I've taken so many other classes with you, Reiki, energy yeah. medicine, but hypnosis was life changing for yeah. me. I mean, I still have very distinct memories of coming to your office and learning and practicing hypnosis. And that's really where our connection got struck up. Yeah. And I felt an affinity and a familiarity and just a, a safety love with Canada from the beginning. Yeah, I felt that too. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's the one who rescued me from academic medicine. When I was at the hospital, she called me. She's like, would you You ever think about joining Eastwind? And I was like, yes, yes. (laughs) Well, and that's, yeah, I I look at your, you've had kind of the similar track. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you've, you've learned from her and even in your academic experience, which I remember you saying early on, like it, I, something felt off, but your classes lit you up. Yeah. Canada's classes <laughs> and you, lit me up. Absolutely. And that became, you know, you built that into your practice yeah. then. Um, yeah. At a much earlier time than, I don't and know. other people yeah. were. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I would not be doing yoga psychology integration without Canada Maurer because Aww. you taught me to look at other forms of healing and that it was okay. It was safe. It was, it was useful to integrate. So you doing all this energy medicine and integrating with psychotherapy was, is, I think, still believe is really cutting edge. Oh, oh yeah. Well, really good, cutting edge. Good. Yeah. 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 Well, good. Yeah. And now I'm it goes even this. farther. So you and yes. Michael did this amazing uh, school. You had the healing center. You drew in lots of people doing all this holistic work. The ripples are massive going out to our community. Um, and then you're in this another new chapter of your life, right. which continues to right. sort of blow me away. <laughs> Tell us it's about kind of blowing that. me away too. It, it feels like it's the right next step. It, yes, it feels that way to me too. And and I want to mention the body too. I Please. don't want to forget that, right? Because we can't forget the body. It's so easy to forget the body, mm. and how crazy that we do it all the time. Because that was a really big part of this, too. I became a massage therapist, which is not my metier at all. <laughs> no way. But, but I learned so much about the body. And I learned that every single 
unconscious, conditioned thing is stuck in the body somewhere. And that was very key to my understanding. And, of course, I brought that to this next chapter. Yeah. 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 So the Tell next chapter. Tell us about the next <laughs> chapter. Yeah. So you've moved beyond the um, East Wind Healing, right? I did. I sold East Wind at the beginning of this year. Okay. With no regrets. Yeah. Really happy to do it. Good people bought it. I'm thrilled for them. And I was really ready to be done. Yeah. yeah. I We've talked before recently about these full circle, you know, moments where you feel like the things you created, you've, yes. you've gotten to the place where it feels complete. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. we have to let things go to pick up new things. Right? Yes. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of courage, I think, in in that because it's easier the ego to hang on to what you created it certainly is but obviously you're able to let go i was ready to let go i literally once michael died there was a point where i thought well i can see how people die when their spouses die i totally mm. got it i totally got it and i thought well i can get busy dying or get busy living and I made a very conscious choice to get busy living. Wow. Yeah. But it was hard. I was in quite a dark place, very grief stricken. And and then I rediscovered psychedelics. And I had not done anything for like 45 years. I mean, nothing. I was raising kids. I'm in grad school. I've got a business, blah, blah, blah. And I saw this. I don't even know how I originally yeah, saw I'm it. Curious. I, you know, I have this block about how I saw That's it. It's fascinating. I, I know it was online, and I saw something about there's this certification program in psychedelic medicine in California, and I thought, hmm, I think I want to sign up for that, yeah. and and I did, and I got in, which was kind of remarkable. Like they were having a lot of people wanting in the program. And I luckily was one of the 85 people that year that got in. So did you travel there? Or yes. Was, yeah. I did a lot of back and forth to California. Okay. Yeah. It was, it took a lot. It yeah, took a lot a of energy. Yeah, huge commitment. Yeah. Huge commitment. in the midst of you were going through a lot of grief, too. Yeah, you exactly. were making a big pivot in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I would say the program was a good program. The problem with any of these programs and certification for psychedelic medicine is that you can't get practical experience because it's illegal, right? So the very fortuitous thing that happened was um, one of my professors in the program took 17 of us down to Brazil for a legal experience with ayahuasca. And I got a lot of experience. I took ayahuasca. I guided people on ayahuasca. I saw the potential. I saw that energy medicine was exactly the right medicine for when people are in a psychedelic state. It's perfect. Tell us more. Yeah. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. Well, it feels to me like people when they are in a psychedelic state are much more open, right? So it's, it's almost delicate, um, I, so you want to come into somebody very carefully when they're tripping. You want to move quietly and gently and kindly into their space with love, with love. Mm-hmm. And when you do, they just go, oh, 
Oh, I needed that. I was like, yes, this is the work I was meant to do. So I got that experience, and it was a deep, deep experience for me. Come back to Iowa City, go, okay, now what? Right? Now what? Because there's nothing going on here, Mm -hmm. and obviously it's still illegal. And I started talking to various and sundry people, and this woman I know said, well, you should talk to Michael Flaum. He's interested. I said, Michael Flaum, hmm, okay. So he's a psychiatrist at the university, and I contacted him, and he said, let's have coffee. So we had coffee, and he said, I am interested in this. What would you see? And I said, I think we need to do research in this. And he said, okay, we got to take it to the head of the department. COVID hit Hmm. right after that. Everything got put on hold, right? Everything got put on hold. So that just kind of fell apart and went, well, okay, whatever. And I ran East Wind and I had a lot to do. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the end of the world or anything. But but it really um, took a year and a half before we had that conversation again. So I contacted Michael Flaum again. He said, let's talk to the head of the department. And we did. And she was really open to this. Because she was looking at all the research. And the research is amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing. And I don't want to oversell it because I think it can get oversold. And that worries me. Yeah. Because um, I think people are looking at it as, you know, a complete miracle. And sometimes I have used the word miracle because I hear about research and I hear about experiences that sound absolutely miraculous. But... It isn't for everybody. It doesn't help everybody. And we have to remain you know, grounded in some mm-hmm. kind of science here. So so the department was into it. I was, like, thrilled. And for the last, oh, let's see, it's been, what, 14 months, 15 months, we've been meeting, a uh, committee of us. Uh, we're about ready to start. And we will be doing research on alcoholism to start with. So how psychedelics can help with addiction? Yes. So we'll be using psilocybin. Um, And just this past couple weeks, we had a wonderful conference in Madison with people who are doing research in Madison. And they suggested, well, one of actually an amazing man sat down with us at lunch and suggested, why don't we try to compare it to ketamine? Well, that's never been done. That's never been done. Wow. I know. Nobody's compared psilocybin to ketamine. And it's so obvious. Yeah. We're going to do it. That's so exciting. Oh, it's so exciting. It yeah. So will you give, because I know for many listeners, this is um, maybe some of the first time they're thinking about psychedelics um, and its impact on mental health and mental well-being. And I would just love to hear from you your broader view of why it's happening now. I mean, there's a lot mm. of energy behind there it. Is. There's all this research. People are excited about it. Clearly, it got shut down in the 60s mm-hmm. by Nixon. Yep. Nixon. 1970. Yep. Why, why now? And what do you think is really going on right now that's yeah. opening the door? away for this you know it seems like it's just sort of suddenly hit the stage but there have been people working behind the lines for a long time so research on um, MDMA 
and DMT started in the 1990s and FDA approved. And the FDA approved research on psilocybin in the year 2000. Most of that has come through Johns Hopkins, the world-famous hospital, and an organization called MAPS has done the MDMA research. And those are the two medicines that are going to be legalized first. So, but they've been working like... Soon, do you think? I think MDMA will be next year. Okay. By the end of next year. Yeah. Everybody's saying that. We're all hoping... Now, they have completed their phase three trials. That's the big thing. So you have to go through phase one, phase two, phase three for the FDA. And they've completed the phase three trials. It had incredible results for PTSD. Wonderful, beautiful results. And I, I would be amazed if it doesn't get the go-ahead. It yeah. really takes that institution like Johns Hopkins, yeah. I think, to, yeah. you know... Exactly. To, to make it legitimate. Yeah, to legitimize it. Yeah. Um, exactly. It's, it's hard to go back from that if Johns Hopkins research. Yeah. Well, and it's like NYU now and yeah. UCLA and UCSF. And I mean, you know, there's this long list of hospitals who are now doing the research, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then MAPS, they've done all theirs privately. I really admire what they've done because they've had to raise the money themselves. And it's been millions and millions of dollars to do the research. Because any kind of research for the FDA is not cheap research. And they've done it. They have done it. I give them a ton of credit. So it's been ha- So the building of this, it's sort of like when people say, you're an overnight sensation. Right. It's like, no, that person's <laughs> no. been working for years and years, years and years. It's the years. same way with right. this research, right? Exactly. Like it's been building and there's been a really committed group of people really working on this yes. for 40 years, yeah. right? Well, yes, although they had to stop working in 1970. Okay. So, and they did. I mean, you know, they were following the rules. Yeah. Um, and then it started up again in the 90s, kind okay. of the mid-90s, early 2000s. Okay. So, you know, it's been building. But I would say Michael Pollan's book, How to Change yes. Your Mind, opened open. a lot of doors. Yep, yep. yep. Thank you, Michael Pollan. Yes, thank you, Michael Pollan. Now, I will say, I think he oversold it a little bit. He didn't talk enough about the downside. And, you know, I literally get calls every week from people saying, hey, I want to try psychedelic medicine. What do I do? And I can't give them anything. All I can say is you have to go maybe to research with MAPS. Maybe you can get on Johns Hopkins research. There's research in Madison. Maybe you can get there. Those are the only options right now for yeah. any kind of legal help, which you know, is really unfortunate. What do you think about people going down to places like Costa Rica or, you know, there's a lot of this right. has sort of become big. It's big business. Big business, yeah. right? People can go down and have a journey. Um, talk about your, your feelings and thoughts on that. I think it's great for opening the door door the big problem and i've heard this so many times from people they don't get any integration Mm -hmm. it's like you know you've got the shaman that's all well and good they're protecting you they're making sure you're not going to kill yourself or do anything weird and they just keep you you know calm and peaceful and moving through the ceremonies that's all well and good but If it's not integrated, if you don't have somebody guiding you, you are missing out on the real 
potential for change. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I literally just heard from a guy this week. He'd gone down, had, I don't know, he's been to Costa Rica two or three times, had ayahuasca trips, and he said, I'm still stuck. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, because it can, the medicine can blow people open, but if you don't have anyone helping you understand how to process and put it together and how it really applies to your day-to-day life, then it's kind of a waste. It's kind of a waste. And I think people aren't taking it into the body enough. Mm. It's like, I want to hear about this. Yeah. So, you know, you're lying in this big room and everybody's got a mat and this is what we did in Brazil. And it, it was beautiful. It was amazing. I Loved that experience. And, you know, the shaman is singing his Icaros, and it's, it's a beautiful ceremony. It really is. And, okay, so one of the trips that I had down there, the woman next to me, we're all lying there getting nice and peaceful, and she screamed the loudest scream I think I've ever heard, and she kept doing it. And it was terrifying. And she was obviously terrified. And it was like, oh, my God, what on earth is going on here, right? Right. And and the man running it, who was a beautiful man, I love him forever, but he isn't a psychologist. He isn't a guide. He didn't know what to do, you know, other than comfort her, which he did. He kept her safe. He absolutely did. But she had a very difficult time and no place to put it when it was over. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So there is danger in terms of the popularity of this growing and that people could have experiences where they're not really being given the tools right. to, yeah. to integrate this exactly. into their life. Exactly. Yeah. So in our study, we're doing minor integration because we don't have enough money to pay for long-term integration. Um, but we are doing integration. So there will be two two-hour-long sessions of integration, and I will certainly be giving people homework because it's really, really vital that people take this into their life. In fact, if you don't do that, you just had an experience. That's all you had. Yeah. Is there any research about how many hours is the ideal amount of integration time or therapy no. time post-psychedelic no. journey? No. Okay. No. Um, there's, so, uh, there's so much that needs to be done. Right. And it's going to, yes, exactly. It's going to be individual. And who knows? I mean, and the problem is this is very therapist-intensive work. Okay, so literally for every person who comes in our door, I will be devoting at least 14, maybe 18 hours to helping them. Okay, that's a lot of therapist time. You're not going to be able to pay for that, most people, right? Like, I just heard, oh, I was talking to somebody who lives in Oregon, where it's now legal, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they have a friend who's going to a therapist for psychedelic medicine, And I thought, okay, that could actually be a good model because she's going to sit with somebody she's been seeing for about a year. They have a relationship. Right, they have a relationship, exactly. And she will be seeing her afterwards. That's a good model. Yeah. But we don't have that here, right? And that's the only place in the country where we do have that. Is that the only state where it's legal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's decriminalized in In other places. In other states, but it's only legal in Oregon. In Oregon. Okay. Do you feel like with the, I feel like we're in a mental health crisis for (laughs) certain. For sure. And so this is 
this is an avenue. I feel like people are seeking out ways to get help. Young people are, yes. you know, looking on the internet. Like people are just hungry for help. Yes. And so I feel this need to like that as a, as a country and as, you know, uh, maybe a therapeutic community, we have to figure this out mm-hmm. because people are taking it into their own hands. And I agree. It's, that's what becomes dangerous. It's like, it's, I agree. It is dangerous. And doing a trip by yourself, I would not recommend. Definitely have somebody with you. Um, You know, there's no way to control this, right? I mean, people have been doing psychedelics, well, for 7,000 years that we know of. So there's no way to control this. But I would sure say, don't do this alone. Mm -hmm. Don't do a huge dose. Just, you know... There's a lot of information online about how to keep yourself safe. And look at that information. It's really important. Really important. I want to bring up and ask about you because I have always seen such a courage in you. And, you know, this podcast is all about being a wild woman. And that means sort of returning to our natural essence, but also being willing to move out of the constructed boxes that we've been all conditioned to stay in. And I, and I have chills right now, so I know this Mm. is truth, but like, I just look at the course of your whole life and how you from early on got out of the box. Like you, you know, (laughs) you've, you've done this through almost every phase of your life, whether it was, yeah, I didn't, I took a decade to go to college and I experimented, experimented with psychedelics when I was young. And then I did a holistic healing center and like, where, where does that come from? That (laughs) capacity, a lot of independence. I feel like you in your first 10 years feels like built off this. Oh, interesting. Necessity to I be independent. I put that together. I really like that. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. That's helpful. That's helpful. Because I did have to be independent. Yeah. And still, I was damaged. I mean, I was damaged. And we were all damaged by difficult childhoods, right? But you found healing. Though. I you did. You sought it out. I and... sought it out and I found it. Huh. I have to really think this about this more deeply. Huh. Yeah, I'm not sure because I've never felt that. Okay, so inside, I don't feel like, oh, I've got a lot of courage. I don't feel that. Inside, I don't feel like, oh, I'm really independent. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel that. It doesn't seem like that to me. What it seems like to me is, oh, this is the truth of my life and I'm going to live it. And that's what it feels like to me. It feels like truth. Yeah. And so when I know what the truth is, I kind of go after it. How do you discern truth? I feel it in my body. Mm. So I always come back to the body. I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my pelvis. So second chakra mm. is really important for me. Um, and and I do feel it kind of throughout my you know, central channel, which may or may not relate to a lot of people. But it's the center most part of our subtle energy system and and i will feel like you felt chills right i mean i'll feel that like kind of a download of energy coming through my center and that tells me oh this is the truth yeah yeah oh 
it's such a your life has been it's a beautiful story oh, isn't it? thank yeah, you yeah and i love i mean i've you know, admired you from afar. So today to like hear you put it all together and your journey is really <laughs> magnificent. Oh, thank and you. your continued desire to help people. Yeah, be of service. Yeah. yeah, is it's just a... And be of service in a way that, again, is outside the box. Mm-hmm. It takes, you know, the courage you going off to California. Yeah. How old were you when you started that mm, program? God, 69. 69, right? Like, yeah. go back to school again <laughs> yeah. at the age of 69. And right? I it's was amazing. The second oldest person in the <clears throat> class. Yeah. And that made, it, you are an inspiration because yeah, you great. just continue to learn and grow and help. And mm, thank you. It's, that's, yeah. well, it's really important, right? If we don't do that, yeah. what are we doing? That's right. And then when right? you said after Michael's death, just deciding to live. Yeah, that feels very real. Like this chapter for you has been filled with living adventures. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I will say that you are one of the most vibrant and alive people I know. Mm. Wow. Thank you. With the way you think about things and what you're exploring and what you're reading and what you want to talk about and where you're going to go. And Mm. so you're also an example to me of um, as we age, we can actually continue to become more of who we are Mm -hmm. instead of just be like, Oh, I've reached a certain age. Now I'm just going to wait to die. Right. Like, you know, you're, you're fully living and that's such a beautiful example. What a nice thing to hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I will say, I feel like you are a true wild woman. I, (laughs) I've always known that. I always like to ask at the end of an interview, our guests, um, coming from the book of women who run with the wolves talking about how there are a few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. Okay. If you have a deep scar, that is a door. Mm. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and water so much, you can almost not bear it. Mm. That is a door. Or if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life. Wow. Can door. you have more than one door? You can. <laughs> yes. I feel like you've earned more than one. <laughs> you can have every damn door. Every Okay. Um, deep scar for sure. My father's death, my mother's mental illness. Mm-hmm. Deep scar. Had wow. took me years and years of inner work to get clear on that. Uh, and what was the last door? Deep life, full yeah. life, sane life. Yeah. You're a seeker. Yeah, I am. Always have been. Yeah. Who knows why that is, right? I mean, we're just born with it or we're not. We can develop it. I believe we can all develop it. But, oh, and here's a cool thing about psychedelics. See, I'm going to give a talk on um, Friday to a group of psychologists. And um, one of the really cool pieces of research is that in psychology, there are the big five traits, okay? And traits are considered things that last throughout your lifespan. And these have been researched quite a bit. Well, one of the traits is openness. So somebody got the really intelligent idea of seeing, does do any of these traits change after a psychedelic experience? Openness changes. Wow. People become more, more open. open. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And then translate that into what do you think happens in our world when more people are yeah, open? Yeah, I think good things yeah. happen, right? Yes. We, we become curious. We want to expand. We want to learn. We want to grow. And then that energy, others pick up on that. And so there's a, 
There's, it levels everything up. Yes. The more open people are, too, I think. Yes, absolutely. So if you had one final um, nugget of wisdom or vision for mm. this world, our community, what mm. you would like to see happen mm. just from all these years of your own healing, mm. your own study, your own seeking, what would you share with us? Hmm. I want to bring this through as clearly as I can. Huh. First, find your truth. Find your truth. Go into your body and find where you feel truth. And once you know your truth, which hopefully is a bigger truth than just you, because if it's just you, it's not going anywhere. It's got to be a bigger truth than you. Live it. Live your truth. Live your heart. Stay open. Stay curious. And love everybody you possibly can. <laughs> you you see are, why I love oh, this woman so much? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. undeniable. You are, you are You're a gift. Gift to the world, yes. Oh, yeah. thank, you. thank you for sharing your, your wisdom today. Thank you. It's really powerful. It's mm-hmm. been an honor to share it. So, Canada, tell us about where people can find out more about your work. And I know you have an upcoming event <laughs> as well. Let us know about that. Okay. People can find me on my website, Candida Maurer. It's M-A-U-R-E-R. I never say it right, so ignore how I say it. But don't ignore how I spell it. <laughs> dot com. And you'll see art on there. You'll see the services I offer. Though honestly and truly, I probably am not going to have time because of the university job. So who knows? I might be open to a few things, but not many. Um, But I'm giving a talk on psychedelic medicine at the Iowa City Public Library at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, November 30th. And it's going to be an introductory talk, but I, I want to get into some of the more complicated and complex issues, but I'm going to keep it simple enough that people who don't know much of anything can learn about it. Beautiful. Thank you. Have you been inspired by Tend Her Wild? Well, Kate and I would love to meet you live and in person for a rewilding yoga meditation and healing retreat in one of our favorite places, Nosara, Costa Rica, May 20 to 27. If you're interested in getting away and doing some deep transformative work with us, check out our show notes for how you can sign up. Come rewild with us in Costa Rica. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.